This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Tim Lust, CEO of the National Sorghum Producers. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Bayer. Learn more about the Bayer Bee Care Program at beehealth.bayer.us. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Tim Lust next. While growers and beekeepers may seem unlikely friends, the work within both industries easily intersects to create positive environmental impact all around. That's why Bayer created the CARE program. CARE is an acronym reminding growers to communicate, be aware, reduce dust, and ensure correct planting practices to reduce risk to pollinators during planting season. Now, in its sixth year, Bayer encourages growers to embrace responsible stewardship practices with four simple tips. Communicate planting activities with neighboring beekeepers. Be aware of wind speed and direction during planting. Help reduce the amount of dust released by using Fluency Agent Advanced as their seed lubricant and ensure seed is planted correctly. Visit beehealth.bear.us for more information on land and product stewardship. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. The nation's sorghum producers are finding tremendous domestic and global demand growth for their product. Today, over 60% of sorghum demand comes from the export market. National Sorghum Producer CEO Tim Lust says they're happy to have survived that season of 178% tariffs from China. They're hopeful for an opportunity to see continued access to that market. Lust begins our discussion today with a conversation with a Chinese industry representative. A couple of years ago, our executive director of our checkoff comes from a swine industry background, and he was really pushing on a couple of the big companies over there to use more sorghum and swine. And one of the gentlemen kind of stopped him and said, Sir, I don't, you know, don't mean to interrupt, but frankly, you don't have enough sorghum in your country for our ducks. Why are you worried about our pigs? And I think that story just kind of puts in perspective how big demand is and how significant the need is from a feed grain standpoint. And certainly from a sorghum standpoint, we we fit very well in southern China in some of those end uses and have been very blessed to be there. So, you know, I think from a trade standpoint, the market is large, and certainly there are a number of competitors from around the world, not just sorghum, but, uh, but a number of other grains that can go in uh, to those markets. But, uh, you know, we continue to see the growth uh, in the animal agriculture sector there in southern China to be very significant. Uh, the National Pork Producers Council, quoting university research that says the tariffs from China costing pork producers over $2 billion already in this year. With regard to sorghum uh, and sorghum producers, what's it like to be the point of the sword when the sabers do rattle and you're caught first in line in the middle? Well, we've we've talked about how we get uh, a, an economist to really do what we did on the back of the envelope case, but you know I think it's pretty fair to say that in April when the tariff went into place, uh, collectively between growers and customers and grain trade, there was probably a hundred million dollars lost that week, and um, so you know the the relative significance of this uh, is very meaningful. Um, when we look at, 
you know, what potential is on the positive side. We just have to realize, just as you pointed out, uh, that that potential is there on the downside. So there's a lot at stake uh, in these negotiations, but, uh, you know, we're happy that the governments are actually uh, negotiating and moving forward and remain cautiously optimistic from a sorghum industry standpoint on on where things stand. So let's go to the bow of the boat. You had uh, deals that were signed. You had boats on the water to deliver product to China, and suddenly there is a 178% tariff. What did you do then? Well, you know, certainly a lot of those were obviously owned directly by grain trading companies or customers in China. But, you know, I think it just was a matter of all hands on deck of, of what are the opportunities and where can these boats move to. And, you know, I think at one point we had 10 different countries that had purchased boats. Um, you know, some of those boats before they actually got unloaded in those countries, uh, when the tariff did come off, have been resold back to China and are headed back to China now. So, you know, there has been a um, a lot of drama, so to speak, in terms of what has gone on. We'll just have to wait through the process and see. And I know last week we had a cancellation, but it wasn't clear if that was really just a move of old crop to new crop or, or where some of those items are in terms of, um, you know, overall shipments. But again, I think our key focus is is uh, let's get the market back and uh, let's get some supply back as we get into U.S. new crop here fairly shortly, and uh, we'll we'll move forward and not look back too much. You already highlighted some names of countries, but just in a direct question, with regard to the global outlook, you've outlined opportunity in China, but when the crisis happened with boats on the water and even the ongoing work that you've done and work with the Grains Council, what are other opportunities that surfaced and that you see Maybe not low-hanging fruit, but real opportunity for your growers. Well, I think certainly, you know, Spain took several boats immediately, and and they've certainly had some challenges this year, and we're in immediate need, and and they're a customer that has a history of using it. Uh, Colombia, through their import situation, has certainly had experience there and and took some. Japan, of course, has been a long-time solid customer. Um, you know, Vietnam came into the picture, and then, as I mentioned, uh, Saudi Arabia is a new customer that we're really, really excited about getting some product into and uh, working with to make sure that, you know, it fits into their feeding experiences. Obviously, if you're a grower, you want to see more demand and you want to see higher prices. Can you sell into those markets at a higher dollar, or what figure do you need to be able to produce at to capture that market share to beat your competition? You know, those are very good questions and things that we're certainly evaluating and, and looking at. Um, you know, some of these markets have been very loyal buyers in terms of what they have bought and have been have special uses for sorghum that have a little higher value and certainly have been willing to pay more. You know, others have really been more just, uh, you know, very competitive, uh, low-cost feed markets that... Uh, you know, it's not just competition with other U.S. grains, but competition with European feed wheat or Australian barley or a number of other feed products uh, into some of these markets. So, you know, we'll continue to evaluate that and really work through the process this year to, to see what opportunities there are. We have plenty of animals in the U.S., and there has been good feed demand. But looking at this from the domestic perspective, are you finding new uses for sorghum maybe in the food area or others that also show you opportunity perhaps domestically? 
Absolutely. We just have tremendous growth in the U.S. food sector, and, and I'll include in that the pet food sector. And you say, well, those those are two very different markets, but you know, I think increasingly many of the trends we see in human health and human nutrition we see moving quickly over into pet food and pet nutrition as well. So you know, those continue to be two very large growth markets for us that are growing at a very high rate. Uh, most of those acres are coming in under contract production at, at premiums to the growers. And so those are two areas that we're very focused on uh, with our U.S. checkoff program and excited to see the growth in terms of what both of those sectors have been. Um, been around this industry for a number of years, and when I started, you know, these were things that were talked about, but they weren't reality so it's exciting today to see the major food companies in the United States launching new products, including sorghum, and a lot of active R&D going on. Is this a steady upswing, or is this an exponential explosion? No, it's an explosion. I mean, somebody asked what percentages this were, and it's it's hard to, you know, sometimes hard to project these things because we're growing at, you know, somewhere between 100 and 1,000% growth, depending on the year, the last three years or four years here in the food sector. So it's exponential growth uh, that is happening very, very quickly. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of it started in the gluten-free, non-GMO that got our foot in the door. And then, you know, I think a lot of consumer product manufacturers found out the benefits of sorghum in terms of functionality and low glycemic index and high protein and a lot of other factors that just work extremely well in their consumer food businesses that uh, were, you know, kind of beyond some of the original reasons why we got in the door. And that's what excites us is is the the sustainability of that and the continued long-term growth as we move more from those true specialty markets into the to the mainstream consumer food markets i'm going to stay under the subject of supply and certainly of of the available opportunity for use the department of energy has been looking closely at sorghum what have they found and what are the bright spots well i think uh you know one of the things that they have looked at is is they've looked at feedstocks uh for for renewable energies Uh, they went through a number of different crops and chose sorghum as one of the model feedstocks that they're going to look at for a lot of their work obviously a lot of that was driven by um you know how much uh product could be harvested with with a certain amount of water and uh biomass sorghum certainly excels under under low water environments or under high water environments and uh so from that standpoint they have focused a lot there the two original main projects were a project called Terra and a project called Roots that uh really uh Terra was looking at above ground and and using a lot of the latest technology and Roots uh is exactly what it talks about but the exciting part for me is, is um, as we looked at our industry and what research had been done on roots in the last 50 years, it's been more research done in the last 18 months than in the last 50 years, and some of the Department of Defense technology that was developed to, to find underground mines uh, is now being used to, to map out root systems in sorghum and be able to evaluate that. And, of course, you know that information will be able to be moved to other crops as well but we're very excited for it to be done in sorghum today and and very excited about how we use some of this cutting edge technology that's coming out of other sectors and be able to apply that to agriculture. I note that over the past few days you've announced a new partnership with FMC and 
and sorghum is still competing with corn and soybeans for acres, and you're not raising a genetically enhanced crop. Is that a disadvantage or an advantage for you? Well, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, at times, certainly, we have been able to focus and not get caught up in in some of the challenges that some of the other crops have had as they have fought these battles that have just gone on and on and on for years from a regulatory standpoint. And, uh, you know, we've been able to just go out and develop markets and, and do other things. I think by the same token... Uh, our producers are the same producers that grow those other crops, and they have certainly seen the benefits of technology uh, in those other crops, and they're hungry for it in sorghum. So, you know, we continue to evaluate that on a case-by-case basis. The big challenge for our crop is is the, you know, the regulatory costs associated with bringing one of those traits to market are large, and for a small crop, it's a challenge in terms of looking at that. Certainly today, the other side of that is, is a lot of technology is changing. You know, there's perhaps opportunities to use other technologies and other methods today to do some of the things that, you know, we're excited about looking at and how can we enhance the quality of sorghum as well as, you know, what some of the farmer aspects of it are that they would love to see from an agronomic standpoint. So thinking again back to the Department of Energy and the work that they're doing, Obviously, corn and soy and some other uh, farmers are quite interested in what is going to become of the renewable fuel standard. Sorghum watching that as well? Absolutely. It's a key element to us and a cornerstone for us. And uh, obviously, there has been in that area a lot of challenges uh, over the last several months. I think, you know, on the opportunity side, E15 is an exciting, you know, year-round E15 is an exciting opportunity for us. By the same token, uh, very concerned about where things are at in terms of waivers and and export RINs and where RVOs are going to be set. So we will continue to be actively involved with the other uh, national corn growers and the other key ethanol organizations in terms of being alongside um you know we we haven't been a part of a couple of those issues the last couple of months we've been a little busy and preoccupied and focused on china uh, but certainly from a long-term big picture standpoint those are very critical issues to us from a domestic market standpoint and and critical to our growers and our members and we will remain very focused in those areas it is an even numbered year that means election and also our time is up for the 14th farm bill Are there particular concerns that sorghum has as we watch policy coming back in the House and potentially being rolled out in the Senate? Well, I think, you know, we were excited to see the House get a bill through committee, and uh, we're hopeful on the House floor, and, and, uh, you know, that setback happened uh, by the same token um, been around a number of these farm bills, and so uh, it's not the end of the world, as some have reported, and uh, have faith that there will be a path found going forward. I do think that the urgency factor is starting to become a reality in the country, and, uh, you know, certainly as the Senate is, is getting closer here to announcing a draft bill and putting that out, um, I know a lot of growers are really starting to voice to us um, you know, we need to get this done, and can we get this done this year? And, you know, as you've mentioned, we're we're fully into the political election season now. I think, you know, used to say that that was August 1st or July 1st, but uh, anymore, I think June 1st, uh, you know, qualifies as, as we're into the election season. That certainly makes some challenges, but it also potentially makes some opportunities. So there's policy and there's politics in any farm bill 
Uh, we'll continue to work uh, with staff on the Senate Ag Committee and House Ag Committee very closely to make sure that the policy is good for our growers and in place and does what it needs to for the sorghum industry. And then we'll be a part of the coalitions on the bigger picture on the politics to just uh, see what it takes to get it across the finish line. Many would have said the 14 Farm Bill was about as good as you could do for that period of time. So if you were caught with an extension, would it be the end of the world, or is there a perspective from the sorghum grower that says, we need a new bill, we need change, and we need it now? Well, I think there are two big factors in terms of that. I mean, um, you know, we certainly have uh, members that signed up for PLC and members that signed up for ARC, and today those growers were allowed to re-choose. Some of them would certainly, you know, choose differently, and so I know they're evaluating that. So depending upon how that would be handled in an extension, that's a big concern. Certainly there's programs that uh, foreign market development type situations, for example, that depending upon how extensions were done, how baselines are affected, and how dollars are available, it's always a concern going into a extension type discussion uh, for a number of reasons. By the same token, we want to make sure that we get a good bill. And so, um, you know, I think we will continue to be a part of the coalition of the willing and try to make sure that we're doing what we can to get a bill done here. Uh, but I, you know, I think the other side of that is it's a little too early to have these discussions. I think we still got a lot of legislative time here in June and July to, to make a lot of progress. And I, I believe it can be done. AgriPulse reported Senator Roberts suggesting he's not interested in pitting one region against the other and basically suggested the legislation proposed by Senators Thune and Brown that would have uh, uh, another look at base acres that that probably wasn't going to be on the chairman's mark. You know, I think that's, uh, I believe, yeah, made those statements in Kansas pretty strongly. And I think, you know, the challenge with that is is that any time, you know, when we look back at 14 by this point in time, let's be honest, there were some serious battles and serious challenges. And one of the things that I'm, you know, proud of is is that agriculture is held together in this bill fairly well. Uh, I would actually say very well considering everything. We know these are competitive environments, but I think all, also we realize we all work for the same growers. But I think any time you get into these bills, um, you know, there's challenges and concerns related to this. This isn't the first time this has happened. But I think when we look at where bills are and, and where the baselines are, I think those are concerns that certainly our membership has voiced and, and others have voiced. So, you know, we'll continue to look to Chairman Roberts, and uh, I think everybody's talked about the fact that, unfortunately, there is not a ton of money to do a lot of new things in terms of this bill. You know, that's the challenge, I think, right now in, in writing the Farm Bill in this environment is, is certainly not a lot of extra resources in terms of what can be done. There's a lot of urgency in the industry resolving the issue with China, coming up with a new Farm Bill, questions about the RFS. And I want to add one more as we look to close. The North American Free Trade Agreement. You know, I was asked about this, and I said it's really simple from a sorghum standpoint. Uh, We grow sorghum a mile from the border. There is literally a mile from the bridge and a mile from the border. We grow sorghum in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas. And, you know, the obvious home for that sorghum is Mexico. And from a specific sorghum industry standpoint, it's a great market. And it's one that's even viewed almost as a local market there Certainly from a meat industry standpoint and a livestock industry segment for the United States, we know the tremendous opportunities that are there. 
So, you know, we continue to be very strong advocates for NAFTA and continue to push that a solution be found here and that we be able to move forward uh, with a NAFTA deal that uh, works for U.S. agriculture, and we're excited about the possibilities of getting that done. Certainly been some timelines that have came and gone here, certainly challenges, as we know there would be in terms of the negotiations, but uh, we're extremely hopeful that we can get a deal done this year and it can continue to take that issue off. The uncertainty in agriculture is significant with all of the trade discussions going on around the world. Uh, it would be really good to have one that is done and, and put away, and we know we can focus on others. Tim Les, we want to thank you very much for taking time from your busy schedule to visit with us here on AgriPulse Open Mic. It is Open Mic, and you get the last word. Uh, just thank you for the opportunity to, to be with your listeners today and uh, glad that from a sorghum industry standpoint, uh, we have made some progress in this China situation and have the ability to go back with trading with our largest customer. Our thanks to Tim Lust, CEO of the National Sorghum Producers, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Bayer. Learn more about the Bayer Bee Care Program at beehealth.bayer.us. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.